episode, we hear from Emre Somali. He starts by telling us how he went from doing an international studies degree to joining a code bootcamp. If you're interested in blockchain development, he has some great tips about this field and where the web is potentially heading to. So make sure to listen until the end. My first uh, understanding of computers came uh, through my uncle who was working at Microsoft um, and I was living with him. He was, uh, he would show me like what HTML and CSS and JavaScript is. I didn't really have any interest for it until um, during college. And in college, I was pursuing an international studies degree um, to pursue environmental policy uh, making. Um, however, I realized through some experiences in Model United Nations, which is like where college students dress up and play diplomats and through jump through the hoops of like the policy making process of the United Nations. Um, I saw how slow policy moves and how many um, parties you have to uh, satisfy. And also at the very end, the policy doesn't have any uh, binding uh, power unless it comes from the Security Council. So I became a bit cynical and kind of uh, wanted to drift away from the policy making uh, approach. And um, uh, summer of my sophomore year, um, I did a boot camp in Seattle called Code, Code Fellows. And 2015, this was around when boot camps were first starting. Um, it was like a full stack uh, engineering boot camp. And um, I fell in love with creating uh, uh, UIs and understanding how computers work. And, um, and uh, after my boot camp was done, it was like a four month intensive. Uh, I worked as an assistant uh, instructor there and landed a job at a startup um, like a couple of months after finishing. So uh, I never ended up going back to college and finishing my degree. Uh, I just uh, continued working in startups. Um, and that's how I kind of uh, stumbled into tech. Okay. Yeah, never looked back. You just, uh, just switched. Okay, that's awesome. And what was the, the tech stack that they focused on at the bootcamp? Or what was one of the first uh, languages that you learned? Yeah, so I mean, the first thing was um, coming into the full stack JavaScript program, I did a few prerequisite uh, classes that the um, code fellows uh, uh, prepared. Perfect. And uh, so knowing HTML and CSS was important, so you could jump straight into JavaScript. And um, we started with vanilla JavaScript and um, learning how to use uh, events and then using jQuery just to show you how the first kind of frameworks allowed us to create uh, syntax that made those um, event bindings and things easier. And then we learned Angular at the time was much more popular than React. Um, okay. So we kind of, uh, the, it was very important for them to kind of show you uh, the vanilla and then the first uh, iterations of frameworks, and then what is kind of popular now. So you understand where we came to and where we were. Um, so yeah, at first it was front end. So we learned um, those things uh, up to Angular and React. And then when we started doing back end, we 
built like a vanilla server and then used um, uh, Express to build a server. Um, and at the time, Express was kind of the, uh, there was not like Nest.js or something like that. Um, so uh, that was the, uh, uh, the iteration. It was just like vanilla node and then Express on top to okay. kind of uh, show you uh, how to build uh, web servers. Okay. And then yeah. after the bootcamp, did you did you directly start applying for jobs, or did you start building projects yeah. by yourself first, or what did it look yes like? Yes, and yes. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I worked as a technical um, um, uh, assistant instructor uh, for the some of the classes there, um, okay. and I was. I always recommend that to any student uh, who's doing a bootcamp. As soon as you're out of the bootcamp, apply to be an assistant. Um, because potentially you might just end up taking another cohort and actually get paid for it. Uh, okay. So it helps you solidify your knowledge. But also teaching, I think, is the best way to learn. Um, I think something that resonated with me was you learn 10% of the things you study, but 90% of the things you teach. Um, That's so a good one. <laughs> yeah. It, it's definitely, it definitely helps solidify the things you picked up in your first iteration of the cohort and then teaching it to students who are going through the same thing you went through a few months ago also really helps you solidify that knowledge. Um, and so, yeah, I did that for a few months. And while I was interviewing at um, uh, startups, I think I interviewed at three startups and uh, one of them gave me an offer and I really just hopped on it. Um, I didn't really try to get another offer to uh, increase the pay or um, I think what was important for me is to get the foot in the door because okay. once your foot is in the door and you're gaining the experience, I think from there on, it's much easier to continue to um, develop yourself in different areas and apply to different startups later on in your career. Okay. And did, did you feel like you were ready when, uh, when you took that first position? Or uh, no. did it feel quite intimidating? <laughs> yes. Yeah, very intimidating. Um, I think some of the, in retrospect, uh, it was a very scrappy startup. Not many seniors um, to hold your hand through things. And that's uh, pretty imperative for growth um, because I think the f your first goal should be to shed that junior role. It was a junior front-end developer position. And I think the goal should be to um, get into a non-junior role within a year. Um, and I was able to do that. Uh, however, um, if you're not a self-starter, uh, make sure that the place that you're potentially going to work at has some sort of a, a junior onboarding process or pairing with seniors to kind of show you the ropes uh, and not a place where as soon as you get in as a junior, unless you're comfortable with that, to start um, uh, uh, deploying to production or, you know, contributing right away. Uh, because as a junior, I think, especially coming out of a boot camp, you really need to understand the stack um, and probably not be pushing code to production until you're feeling ready. And okay. if there's no hand-holding process for that, then it becomes a little bit um, hectic. Yeah, I could imagine you doubting yourself and pushing it, and then something happens, and and uh, you start doubting yourself even more than afterwards. Yeah, I mean that never goes away either. I still doubt myself. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. <laughs>
And do you find that the landscape's kind of changed a lot now with the popularity of boot camps, or is it pretty much? Would you say it's just it's the same process, still? The how you mm-hmm. kind of how you followed it with the the process was is probably the same. The playing field, I think, is definitely uh, different. I, I think the boot camps have saturated um, some areas of the field, especially. I'm seeing a lot less junior roles than I used to. I'm seeing a lot more senior roles now um, uh, for you know companies looking for uh, more seniors. Um, but I don't keep a very close heartbeat on that. Yeah, and yeah. I know like that tech is just something that's going to and is growing exponentially. So there is always roles. Um, I think what hasn't changed is that. Um, Going into tech, you really don't have to uh, care about what the job description says. Um, And that shouldn't hold you back from applying to jobs that you might think you're not eligible for. Um, I think that is still the exact same as when I was applying. Um, But it is true that boot camps have grown tremendously in popularity and the amount of um, junior developers that are going into the ecosystem is uh, a lot more than before. Um, okay. So, yeah. And uh, if, if you had to go back and uh, redo everything, like start from fresh, like learning your first line of code again, is there anything mm-hmm. that you, you think that you would have done differently or would you have done exactly like step for step the same? Yeah. I'm not uh, displeased with the choices that I've made. I think in going back, I might have chosen to go like a data science Python route. Um, But because I'm not really doing web development anymore, um, I'm not, uh, or as much, I'm not really, it's not like a dang, I wish I did that. It's more of, I can still learn that Uh, now. It's just, I have a lot less time. Okay. And is there any like, um, do, do you come across a lot of junior developers at, at the moment or how you must have come over the last few years, come across a lot of junior developers like in, in, the, in the working space? Is there any, any kind of common mistakes that you see a lot of juniors making or any mistakes that you made in the beginning when you were just starting out yeah. that you can maybe think, think of? Not, definitely. Um, I think the main one is not asking enough questions um, early on and um, being comfortable with asking questions that might sound dumb um, to you. But um, it takes a little bit of a strong character, I think, that, um, you know, going into a space that you're not comfortable in, it's hard to... uh, be that strong character being like, I'm going to ask some questions and I'm going to look really stupid potentially, but I don't care. So and most people can't do that, including myself. And, um, but just like being cognizant of that uh, and just being okay with asking a lot of questions. And even if you think you're bothering your manager or you're being annoying, like um, after all, this is your uh uh, success and um, career path, you know, like asking those questions early on will unblock you uh, and allow you to progress faster. And if you potentially are in a place where you feel like you've plateaued, 
the goal is to always, you know, try to get off that plateau and onto the next learning curve. Um, so yeah, uh, but yeah, nobody nobody is able to probably do it perfectly, but it's just something to understand. Yeah, true. Sure, there's some unicorn. What's a unicorn? Some unicorns out there somewhere that are doing it that you don't yeah. know about. <laughs> Perfect sure. students. <laughs> mm-hmm. And do you have any tips for when you face? I mean, you must face it quite often as well. Like when you when you hit a roadblock or you hit a wall, and there's something you can't uh, figure out. Is there uh, anything that you usually do initially? Like, um, yeah. So time boxing is a good um, approach to that. Uh, just set yourself a timer. Like, give yourself whatever, like thirty minutes, forty-five minutes, an hour, where you yourself are alone with the problem, and you go through the general process, which is like to Google to ask, um, um, to, to, to use all the resources online, whether it's Reddit, Google, Stack Overflow, um, depending on the type of technology, you might have some other resources. And, and try to poke at it uh, because um, without poking at it and then asking people around, uh, there's no kind of... So after you poked at it and you've time boxed and your time has ran out, then you should approach somebody that's either senior or uh, another teammate and your approach should always be um, here are the things, here's the problem, here are the things I've tried um, and here's what uh, my conclusion is through those things I've tried. Okay. Uh, those things I've tried part is really important to help the person that's helping you kind of get a, 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 a head start into the problem. So, um, Instead of just going directly to them and being like, hey, I, I'm not really sure what this is or how this is working, they're probably going to end up doing those first initial things that you've done, which is to look at resources, Google it, whatnot. Okay. Um, so to, to, to uh, get those preliminary steps out of the way, it helps a lot. Um, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and and uh, do you find even just having a, convers- like a, a conversation initially like that? Um, kind of would resolve a lot for you or before they come over and actually start looking at your code? Like, have you found that you've just, just talking through something like that with someone else? Like, uh, has mm-hmm. it solved a lot before? Or? Yeah, that happens all the time where you're just like, um, hey, I got this question and you start asking the question and before the other person can even answer it, you're like, oh, actually, I got it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so... Uh, in my boot camp, my teacher uh, got everybody a rubber duck. Um, okay. And the rubber ducking thing, you know, maybe you guys have heard of it. It's pretty common. Um, you just talk to the duck as if they're the person you're asking for help. And uh, in, in order to maybe like trigger that uh, self-answering thing. Um, and it does work. So, yeah. you know, like go to Amazon and get yourself a rubber duck and put it on your desk. And yeah. talk to it every once in a while. And then, it doesn't even have to be about work. It can just be like relationship stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and the answer will might come to you. And, and eventually, like you'll you'll feel comfortable when people start looking at you. If you're doing it in a coffee shop, like work, you know, like work, <laughs> or a co-work space, you know, you, you just don't care anymore. Again, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He does it every day. It's all right. <laughs> it's got a lot of questions. Yeah. 
and and right now, like uh, your tech stack um, that you're kind of focusing on, or or is there any new new frameworks or languages that you're learning at the moment? Yeah, so I am a technical educator at the Web Three Foundation. Um, we are the foundation that's responsible for doing research and educational content and grants and things for the Polkadot uh, blockchain and ecosystem, uh, as well as Kusama. And um, so those two uh, blockchains are built on a framework called Substrate. And Substrate is a framework that's built using the language Rust. So currently, um, my tech stack is Rust and Subst uh, Substrate. Um, I am pretty new at it, and my goal is to run uh, Substrate locally and communicate with these different uh, blockchains um, through my local Substrate node. And uh, that uses Rust, and um, Rust is a very fast, low-level language, similar to like Go, uh, that allows you to um, do uh, networking and uh, memory management and uh, things that are um, hardware, uh, it, that things that require um, uh, hardware um, uh, performance. Um, so yeah. yeah, that's kind of uh, where I am. I've kind of stepped away from uh, web development, um, even though we are, I do manage a, um, the Polkadot Wiki with my team, and that is built on um, a few documentation frameworks. Uh, it's called DocuSource, and okay. it uses JavaScript and uh, NPM and Yarn and things that are kind of like traditional deployments, um, web development and deployment tools. Yeah, uh, but it's not something that I'm learning. It's more something that I'm managing. Okay. Uh, how have you found the transition from being a front-end developer or like knowing that stack and then uh, mm -hmm. going into blockchain and working with, mm -hmm. with all, it sounds very complex with what you transitioned into now and, and, mm -hmm. uh, working with. Um, I think I was ready for it. I was um, in okay. web development for about six plus seven years and I was working full stack, um, mostly node, um, and um, there was times where I was developing in Ruby and um, all those kind of like high level languages uh, left me yearning for understanding low level stuff better. It was always on my to-do list to learn something like C or Go um, yeah. to better help better understand um, how a computer works. Um, and with uh, just time constraints and job requirements. I never was able to uh, allocate time f to that. Uh, but with now with Rust, I'm kind of uh, fulfilling that want, uh, which has been really nice. Okay, awesome. And what would you recommend for any, any front-end developers that are, or junior developers that are interested in learning more about like uh, blockchain development or getting into that space? Is there yeah. kind of a, a go-to step to take first before, you know, go down the YouTube rabbit hole? and? <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think uh, understanding Ethereum is the first step to um, programmable blockchains. Okay. Um, so Ethereum uh, is a blockchain that was uh, a fork of Bitcoin originally. 
And the founder of Vitalik Buterin, what he essentially did was built a virtual machine around uh, Bitcoin. And that virtual machine now allows us to interact with the blockchain, um, sort of like a database, okay. uh, through a scripting language. And um, that was my first step, uh, first step to um, learning uh, blockchain development was to learn um, the Ethereum virtual machine and the scripting languages uh, that allowed you to um, interface with it. Okay. And um, yeah, there's different type, uh, different data types. There's different um, uh, considerations for security than you would have with general general web development. Yeah. Um, and like different ways to deploy and run locally. Um, so anybody that wants to um, get into blockchain development, I think you know, learn Ethereum, um, and then uh, also look into Substrate, um, which is what Polkadot and Kusama are on. Okay. And uh, yeah, uh, Rust, learning Rust, uh, if if that interests you. You don't have to do blockchain development if you're doing Rust. Um, it's just a good uh, fast low-level language that is quite user-friendly and has great documentation and kind of helps you understand how uh, the computer works better. Okay. That sounds very interesting. And do, do you think that there will be a lot of developers in the future kind of uh, transitioning over or, or having their feet in, in both kind of how you've had um, you know, developers being front-end and, and, and back-end and then full-stack? And then do you think it's eventually, can you see it eventually becoming such a big part that it's going to be a requirement to now be a blockchain developer as well, or just having some sort of knowledge in that sphere as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, okay. my job is to tr uh, help uh, Web2 developers understand Web3 and hopefully uh, want to develop in it. Um, okay, awesome. And what I mean by Web3 is uh, we, we see blockchain as the next evolution of um, internet technologies that are going to help us interact um, through the internet in a new way, in a, in a, in a way that allows us to um, own our own data and uh, have more verifiability and uh, require less trust um, uh, of third parties to uh, secure things for us. So uh, Web3 is going to be kind of the, in our vision, the next evolution of the internet realm and okay. um, I think anybody who's developing in the internet are going to be interfacing with some blockchain technologies in one way or another. Okay, that's awesome. It kind of leads us into this, the, the, the end part of this interview um, nicely where uh, I was going to ask you what you're excited about and what the kind of future trends or tech trends or, or mm -hmm. anything in the uh, developing at the moment that you're that you're excited about um, is it something in blockchain or is it something uh, completely different uh, tech related or programming yeah, related I, blockchain is a uh, number one uh, excitement for me um, and has been since like 2017 and um, I just see it as a technology when we look back in let's say 50 years uh it's going to be something that we say, like, how did we um, verify or secure or live without this? Um, 
because if we're around as uh, humans in the next 100 years and if yeah. the internet is also around um, and the blockchain technology proves itself to be useful to society and is still around as well, well then um, in 100 years blockchain will have been around for over 90% of um, the internet's lifespan. So it will be just some technology that has been around um, almost as long as the internet. Um, because, you know, like uh, using the internet uh, as a society, uh, generally as a society, um, has been only around since like the 90s, mm. um, where we've been building websites and products and things that the general public can understand and interact with. Um, and... Uh, the first blockchain application, which was Bitcoin, came out in 2009, which was um, about a decade or more after that. So yeah. um, when you look at it, like it, it, it's been around for uh, a good enough time uh, when you, in relation to the lifespan of the Internet that we've been using in society. Um, that's definitely very exciting to me, and it's and it's one of those things where we're abstracting code. Uh, sorry, we're abstracting um, real life uh, responsibilities that are satisfied by humans right now mm -hmm. into code. Um, these are what we call smart contracts, and smart contracts are going to be allowing us to run um, very uh, middlemen like functionality that we have in the physical realm in the digital realm. Um, and that is one of the key uh, things that is necessary for automation of um, different things. And um, so blockchain gives us the data structure and the type of database that we need to be able to do that securely and in a way that we can verify it. Um, so that's extremely, extremely exciting. Um, yeah, definitely. But I am also like very excited about other areas and namely um, uh, AI and machine learning. Okay. I think um, one thing that I've been realizing is uh, complexity is increasing exponentially in our um, experience uh, of life. And uh, complexity sciences are something that are going to be extremely important in the future. And uh, complexity sciences, as its names kind of alludes to, are very complex. And humans, I think, don't have the right amount of bandwidth and memory in our uh, biological brain to be able to handle it um, at the levels that it's going to be uh, in the next you know, uh, century. Yeah. And so AI and machine learning is going to be key for us uh, to be able to understand complexities and to do a lot of the heavy lifting for understanding very deep level um, um, data-based um, uh, either metrics or findings or um, just to do a lot of the heavy mental work. Um, and that's going to allow us to focus our creative energies on other things. Um, so that's extremely exciting. Um, Another thing that's really exciting is uh, genetics and genetic uh, modifications that we're going to be able to do using technologies like CRISPR. 
Okay. Uh, I think uh, one of the most exciting um, findings have been, you know, to be able to decode the DNA and be able to create a, a biological technology. The idea of CRISPR is to be able to edit the code of the DNA. Um, it's kind of like the uh, the type cursor on Microsoft Word, where you just have a paragraph and you can put that anywhere. And you can delete like something and add something else. Um, and th this is so cursor, the, the, the that technology. Okay. CRISPR is CRISPR, pretty much the, yeah. CRISPR is pretty much the cursor on Microsoft Word. Okay. And instead of instead of the paragraph being your diary, it's uh, gen genetic code. Um, and we understand what certain genetics uh, and how they um, present themselves in humans. So we know that uh, certain uh, cancers are caused by certain genes and we can actually find what those genes are um, in our uh, DNA and we can actually edit it. Um, it's still very early on because as we know, like life is very complex and uh, we don't know if you edit something, what else is it kind of impacting? Yeah. Uh, so that's one of the areas that's kind of like also scary about it. Um, if you're going to remove one gene, is it going to mess up some other part of your uh, genetic makeup? Uh, so, but it's all, these are all just like very exciting stuff. Um, and since I'm not a machine learning uh, expert or a genetic scientist, um, uh, my excitement about blockchain takes precedence in my life. <laughs> yes, if you had to choose one, they're all pretty ambitious. Like, like, but do you think that like they'll eventually all plug in together and then it'll just be super crazy and complex and awesome? I mean, they already are kind of plugged in together because we are um, interacting with them as a society and we are okay. plugged in together as a society. Yeah. Maybe the degrees might get smaller in which they defer, but... Um, uh, but yeah, just as separate um, areas right now, they're all uh, got some really cool things going for them. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, I think that concludes. Thanks so much for for diving so deep into that into that realm and, and for doing this uh, interview. Yeah, um, um, it's been really, really eye-opening. I'm glad. Thank you for inviting me. Um, and to those that are doing boot camps. Um, uh, stay sane, you know, like, uh, those boot camps are hard. Uh, if you feel like you're falling behind and you're never on top of it, I think that's by design and, uh, you're going to make it out. And, um, I think we need more people in society that understands technology. So all of you, uh, in the boot camp, uh, right now, uh, you guys are doing, um, I feel like what is, um, you know, admirable and right for society. Uh, even if you don't continue to end up in tech, I think just understanding how computers work is an imperative thing uh, for humans, uh, especially in the future.